You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast. www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. Hey, everybody, I'm on vacation this week, so there's no topical rant at the top of the show. Um, and in the body of the show, there is a returning guest, uh, one of my favorite guests of all times, Lucy. I love Lucy. I was recently in L.A. for a couple of weeks working on a project, and I had to do a podcast recording session while I was down there. And Lucy drove me to the podcast recording session, so of course I then invited Lucy to sit in. Uh, Lucy, for those of you who recall, uh, was my tour wife when I was filming um, a series for MTV where I went to college campuses and did the Savage Love Live shtick. For television. Uh, and Lucy was uh, paid money by MTV to do my laundry and drive me places and not have sex with me, which made her kind of like my wife in the cliche kind of Lockhorns comics sense of wife. I called her my tour wife. Uh, and she sat in on a few podcast recordings um, during that project. And so for old time's sake, I invited her to sit in during this podcast recording session. Lucy is not a sex expert. Uh, Lucy is not a sex researcher. Uh, Lucy is not a famous person. Lucy is... Uh, smart and funny and in her 20s and sexually active and in Los Angeles and has some ideas and perspectives of her own, some of them very hard won. And I think she's smart and I think she's funny. And if you don't, you might want to skip this show, uh, but you might want to give Lucy a second chance if you don't think she's funny. A lot of There are a lot of Lucy fans out there and it's for you uh, that we bring back for one episode, just one more, Lucy on today's show. And of course, your calls, tons of them on today's show too. Hi, Dan. This is a 31-year-old straight male from upstate New York. There's this girl that I dated for a long time. Long story short, we broke up last year. And I've slept with other girls since. I just, within the last nine months, I still just can't seem to shake this girl. I mean, we had a, a long-standing relationship, a very strong connection. You know, she, she's probably someone I would still chase if given the opportunity, but where things stand, I've kind of stopped contacting her even when she contacts me because it's, I know it's not healthy. Uh, what do I do? Is this, is this a normal sort of thing where even after being broken up for so long, should I be past this already? Or is there something I'm just lingering on for some reason? Maybe you can give me some insight on what I might be doing. So Lucy's going to sit in. We're going to use Lucy sparingly, um, like cilantro or tit clamps, something you use sparingly. You don't leave the tit clamps on the whole time. You don't dump tons of cilantro into the guacamole because people bitch and complain. Tit clamps are cilantro too much, too long. People can't take it. So we're going to use you sparingly in this hour. That's okay. And a half. Is that all right? Yes. So I, I'll look at you when I want you to say something. So otherwise you have to keep you keep a fucking cork in it and no giggling. But I wanted you to help me answer this first question because it's so boring. I don't think I can answer this question on my own. So he broke up with this girl a year ago or nine months ago uh, and he still sort of thinks about her. But there's some deep dark shit he's not sharing with us. There's some reason why she's still contacting him uh, and he's still kind of into her but he's not responding to, I don't know, the court orders or whatever it is that she's sending him. Um, but he can't get her out of his head and is this normal and he's fucked a few other people and that hasn't wiped the memory bank clear. So what's your advice for him, Lucy, as uh, someone who fucks and stalks men? Yeah. 
No, seriously, professionally. I don't. I wish I knew why they broke up. Yeah, it would have been helpful to have that info. What the hell? Was she just really good in bed? I don't know. I'm sure it's normal. I just wish I knew what had happened. It's, I don't really know what to say. It's of course it's normal. Like you love someone, it's hard to get over them. Over them, especially it, you, if you're still communicating with it, them. And you fucked a couple other people, but it doesn't sound like you've had a relationship with anybody else. Right. And you know, I've talked about this in the past. I used to, I carried a torch for a guy for a couple of years after college, and then we got lunch, and I was like, oh, I'm over you. Mm. And what I was obsessed about was not you know the person he had become and the person he was still growing and changing and learning and you know developing as a human being. I was obsessed with that moment, that time we spent together, who I was at that time I wanted to return to and who he was at that time. And then I met up with him a couple of years later still kind of carrying a torch. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm done. We're done. This is over. So maybe you need to meet up with this girl and have lunch. Maybe. And then if you are you end up fucking on the table and you can't be parted from each other, then maybe you're just going to – you're destined to be together and have some sort of stormy-ass relationship for all the reasons that you didn't share with us about why you guys broke up in the first place. Maybe they were just bored. That's why the question was so boring. Hi, Dan. I'm a tech-savvy at-risk youth and I have an issue. I've been seeing this guy for – it's serious now. It's about five years and – I've decided that I want to study abroad and naturally that'll come with a lot of separation and that can get uncomfortable sometimes. So we've agreed to set up a hall pass situation and we've been going through like terms and trying to set up like a contract so that we both know the rules from the outset to do this as cleanly as possible. One problem is that I have a much, much higher sex drive than he does. And he decided it would be a good idea to limit the frequency of visits by other people. I would prefer not to, obviously, but it seems we're sort of at an impasse about it. I really would like to know your opinion. Do you think it's fair of him to limit the frequency of other visitors. He says he is one of those people that would like to know everything. I would just like to get your opinion because I know if I'm going to start fucking somebody else, it's probably going to happen pretty frequently at first. My opinion is that your boyfriend really doesn't want to have this open relationship. Sometimes when people, because of you know distance, can pull them apart, a couple years abroad, med school, and they'll realize the rational brains will tell them that they're going to have to sign off on some sort of don't ask, don't tell agreement, that they're going to have to allow their partner to see other people or fuck other people during this time away because it's going to happen anyway. So you might as well allow it to happen rather than be in denial about it and have it be this explosive secret that can come out. But they really don't want it to happen. What he would probably prefer is you not fuck anybody else while you're gone. And maybe he would not fuck anyone else while you're gone too. But knowing the way a lot of guys behave, he would probably mess around a little bit and not want you to mess around at all, right? And, and some women are like that too. Some people want freedom for themselves and uh, a, a hall pass for themselves but not a hall pass for their partner. Um, so to avoid you actually fucking anybody else, the rational brain is saying you, you got to hammer out an agreement that allows for this, that you have to create an accommodation that uh, allows this thing that's going to happen anyway to happen in a structured way that's fair. They will set conditions that make it impossible for that thing to happen, uh, either just logistically impossible or emotionally impossible. So this condition he's setting where you have to tell him about the frequency that you have to disclose everything in advance as it happens 
he's setting a condition where he is going to be wounded and hurt. What he's setting is a condition where you know going forward that any move you make where you then have to go disclose frequency, everything that you're doing is just going to be you know, kicking your poor sad puppy of a boyfriend back at home in the face and you may be reluctant to do that. And he knows you're going to be reluctant to do that. So he's hoping that that will lead to you not doing it at all, even though you have his permission. So I would urge you to renegotiate the accommodation. I would urge you to reopen the negotiations to begin with because you need a don't ask, don't tell. I'm going to do my thing. You're going to do your thing. We'll get back together. Once we're solid, we're back together and it's clear that we're going to stay together. Maybe we'll have a drunken weekend where we confess all. But we're not going to do a, hey, just want to, I'm, you know, hey, honey, how are you? Just letting you know there's a dick in my hand. I'm about to put it in my mouth. Just thought you wanted you to know. We're not going to do that because that is unfair to you. And it's you asking me to treat you unfairly and cruelly. And that's unfair to me because then I am not going to be able to do while I'm away what I would like to do and what you're ostensibly giving me permission to do and you're not going to be able to do it either. So either we're open or we're off. Sometimes that's also the workable solution. We're going to be apart for a while. We're going to be separated. We're going to put the relationship on hold. I'm not answerable to you during this time. You're not answerable to me. Let's stay in contact. Let's stay in touch. Let's be friends. Let's be there for each other. But I don't have to answer your questions the same way I would if we were still officially boyfriend-girlfriend. That's also a solution. But the solution he's proposing, that's not a solution. That's emotional manipulation and the drag of a solution. Hi, Dan. I'm a 28-year-old drag queen from a liberal West Coast city. Um, something weird happened to me the other night, and I just kind of wanted your opinion, I guess, on it. I went out. I performed. On my way home, I took a, a, a cab home, one of those app cabs uh, that the real cab drivers hate so much. And um, the guy that picked me up throughout the throughout the ride home started um, telling me, like, oh, I've been to that bar before. I, I gave guys a ride here before. We had a great conversation. And then I went in to have a drink with them and finished up my shift. And, uh, and then he was telling me all about his... Um, his girlfriend, who's in a polyamorous relationship, who lives in a city about two hours from here, and how he doesn't see her. And then, like, about five minutes before we get to my house, he, he tells me um, that he's going to end his shift with me because, you know, he's, he's got a, another job he's got to do in the morning and doesn't want to be driving all night. And I could be overreading things, but just, like, the, the openness of this conversation, like, I, I kind of thought that he was uh, hitting on me a little bit. And I know you talk a lot about, like, it's never the gay guys that are into the women with penises porn. It, 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 it's straight dudes that want a little dick. And I was wondering if you thought that this was that kind of situation. I mean, was this a straight guy that saw me in drag and was like, <laughs> I mean, not to toot my own horn, but my body's pretty fucking banging when I'm all dressed up. I don't know. Either way, it'd be a fun story, but I'm kind of wishing like, hey, I should have borne this guy in his car because it would have made an even better story. Uh, let me know what you think. <laughs> so the dude was hitting on him. Yes, clearly. Obviously. Uh, yeah. I don't know how you get to be a 28-year-old drag queen without being able to detect when some panty-chasing straight guy is hitting on you. I'm going to end my shift in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm not sure what that meant. How much know. more explicit did the guy need to be? I'm Polly. Uh, my girlfriend lives two hours away. Last time I picked up some drag queens, I partied with them. You know what? After the end of my shift, I partied with them. And I think I'm going to end my shift with you. Like this cabbie's probably just sitting outside that gay bar like, all right, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for one. <laughs> Get the best one. I used to do drag and we would go to bars and, and drag as one does. Um, you don't, you know, do drag and go to church unless you're a cardinal. <laughs> and you, these guys would come in who would insist they weren't gay and were after us and perhaps they weren't gay um, but they were after us in drag. We looked like dudes in drag. We didn't – you know, I'm I'm 6'1". In drag, I'm 6'10". In the shoes I would wear and the hair, a giant fucking Barbie, Amazon, enormous tits and uh, this voice. Like I ain't a girl and these guys would hit on me and I'd be like – I ain't a fucking girl. And they would say things like, I would let you give me a blowjob. And to try to like face them, I would say, I will give you a blowjob after you give me one. Ooh. And you know what they would say? Huh. Okay. <gasps> and I, then I would be like, oh, shit. Oh, fucking bluff called. I don't want your blowjob. I don't want my. Because drag for gay guys, you don't do drag to have sex. It's not sexy. Drag is not sexy. You don't feel sexy in drag. You feel fierce. You feel ferocious. You feel enormous. You feel powerful. But you don't feel sexy. Like your your drag self, all the all the clothes, um, you know, particularly if you're good at it and it's elaborate, your hair, your makeup, you add somebody like pushing their dick into you to that and it ruins it. It all falls apart. You're sort of this fragile construction and you had somebody's pounding away at your face with a sweaty dick it's gonna ruin your makeup well gonna knock your Saturday night for me <laughs> if you're lucky if you're lucky well do you think he should have hooked up with him though if he wanted to if he wanted to yeah yeah like take a little walk on the wild side maybe see what it's like to be with somebody who wants to be with your dick in the girl package yeah. uh, I don't as a sexual adventure I, I think that's fine the only thing if I was in his shoes I was always most creeped out by the guys who couldn't admit what they were doing, right? Some of these panty chases when my friends and I were doing drag a million years ago would insist that uh, they would they, – you would say I'm not a girl. Mm. Oh, you're such a pretty girl. Like I want to take you home. I want to make love to you. Um, and I would say, you know, first I'm not a girl. Oh, you are a girl. Yes, sir. You, you are a girl. And they would – you would get into the arguments about – and you would stand there going, I'm a gay man. I'm a guy. I'm a guy. And you know what? I'm a top. Huh? Like the people I go home with, I fuck them. And they would, it would, they would pretend that you hadn't said that out loud and they'd circle back. They're always drunk. Circle back five minutes later and start talking to you about how, what a pretty lady you are and what pretty pussy you must have. Like, I don't have a pussy. I have a dick. Ugh. You know what they called one guy what? a million years ago? In my column, actually, one of these guys, panty chasers, what he called dick? Loves, loves beautiful drag queens, loves these women and their stick pussies. What? Stick pussy. What? That's what he called a drag queen's genitalia. Not dick. Talk about removing yourself from the situation. Pussy on a stick. Stick. It, which it kind you know genetically when you think about yeah. it, physiologically, biologically, it is stick pussy because it's all clit until sex differentiation, until those hormones start to flow, and then you know the the, the penis is assembled from the parts that make the vulva and, and the clitoris. Yeah. And it's really it, it defaults to to, to clit. It, it is clit until it gets zapped with the male hormones, and then it turns into dick. So really, a dick is just stick pussy. Yeah. So here's a question that that I'd like to ask you as a straight woman, because this comes up. The, the people who patronize those 
trans uh, woman sex workers are straight guys. Gay guys don't – you know, when a gay guy wants an escort, he doesn't order a trans escort, trans female escort. He orders a dude. Um, so the straight guys who, who go off with those trans female escorts, straight guys who watch trans uh, female porn of a particular genre that's made for straight guys. And it's straight guys in my experience who were chasing after me when I was in drag and my friends when we were in drag. Straight identified polyamorous guy chasing after this kid uh, who says he's banging in drag with a banging bod. Uh, Pics or that didn't happen. If you were with a guy as a straight woman, I get this letter all the time, found out he was looking at trans female porn, trans woman porn, found out he'd been with a trans uh, woman escort and just uh, shattered by it. Could you date a guy who was able to be like, I love women. I also like these trans women who do uh, escort work who have penises that function? I don't know. I mean, if everything else is great, I don't think that would bother me. Wouldn't be a deal breaker or disqualifier? No. But maybe it would. But maybe. I don't know. I have never had that happen to me yet. Usually it happens because the, the woman finds out after the fact and has been lied to and misled about well, monogamy or whatever else. What if a guy disclosed in advance? There's a lot of guys out there listening to particularly this show who may be those guys who love women or attack women, eat pussy like champs, want to be with women – Usually they want to be with cis women and they want to enjoy uh, now and then as a special treat. A trans woman, guys, you should also be open to dating those trans women. If a guy disclosed to you out of the gate, like, look, I'm totally into women, also into trans women with penises that function every once in a while just for the thrill of it, would you date him? Because that's something that a lot of guys know about themselves, but they feel they cannot tell any woman they would ever date because she would run. Well, but see, are we talking about me or are we talking about all my straight friends? We're talking, we're talking about, about you me, first, you first, even though you may be an outlier and a bad example. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because I would probably find it interesting. Like, let's talk about – let's talk more about this and show me your porn and show me all – they'd be like, oh, God, who is this person? <laughs> Just be scared and go away, right? <laughs> oh, like maybe they were telling you that to scare you away. Yeah, that's that's they actually not how they're into it. <laughs> Trying to break up with They're me. They're trying that to get way. rid of you. Like, oh, and here's all my trans porn too. <laughs> this is so great. Finally, we're open. We have something in common. And finally, we're open. But I don't know that it would make me run for the hills because if I'm interested in someone already and I'm already invested in them, you could clear that hurdle. I think so. But, but your maybe. girlfriends couldn't. A lot of my girlfriends would not would not be interested in that. But like, but maybe they would be, and they just don't want to say. Hmm. So maybe that's the other thing. If they hear you talk about it on the podcast. Maybe they'll come out to you about that. Maybe. I would love that. Hi, Dan. I'm a bisexual male who is in a monogamous relationship with a woman. She is divorced. Uh, I am as well. And we have kids, not together, but uh, separately. Anyway, um, we've been dating now for six months and have a very healthy sexual relationship where we communicate all the time, um, very open and free and discussed uh, having uh, couples in in, in our relationship as well. Well, she knows about my fetishes and things like that. Sometimes I like to uh, chat with other people, uh, either online or look at porn, and she, I know she likes to look at porn as, as well. And there's been an issue with trust that has happened. Uh, she was in a relationship where last year she was, and actually she's still, technically she's actually still married, uh, although the paperwork's still going through. Um, she was cheated on by her husband, and she has a lot of ill will towards that. And I think there's some trust issues uh, that are still hanging over because what's been going on apparently is um, she's been spying on me in regards to my personal life. And I've tried to give her full disclosure about my life and as much as we can, and I feel like we're still going to, through the getting to know each other period. And the problem that we're having is recently, two weeks ago, uh, I took my child to a 
a baseball game and I found out that she went through uh, some paperwork that I had, uh, personal stuff, uh, revealing that uh, I was briefly married uh, in secret to somebody else only for about uh, six months. I was used in, in the relationship. Um, it was a situation where I, I told her about the dynamics of it, where I had been used and lost thousands of dollars and in finances, I never told her that uh, that I was married. Though um, no, we had no kids, no attachments whatsoever. She was obviously clearly upset with me, and it was a situation where I just explained to her that, you know, I did this in secret. It was out of convenience because this person was out of country uh, to help them out, uh, but I had already filed for divorce to get out of the, the relationship. My question is, because she's upset about it, you know, is is this recoverable? Is this a situation where I can? You know, in explaining to her that we're still through the going through the getting to know each other period, uh, that it was difficult for me to explain to her why I needed to uh, to just keep this more to myself than anything else because it makes no bearing in terms of how I feel about her because I think she's a wonderful person. I'm going to spend the rest of my life with her, but at the same time, I feel like the relationship now it's it's, it's kind of fractured only because of the spying that she's been doing on me. There was another thing that happened where we have so much trust in each other. She's let me take care of her children uh, multiple times, uh, pick them up from school and things like that. There was an incident that happened at the house uh, where uh, her son was hurt while we were playing. And he corroborated the story with his mom. We were just goofing around and stuff and normal, normal, you know, I guess dad and, you know, kid stuff. And um, he got a little scratch on his back and she took pictures of it without me knowing setting it up, and uh, this is prior to her finding about, out about uh, the situation with my uh, my divorce. So I, I just wanted to ask if, if it is possible to recover from this. I know that we have been, it's been very difficult for us to communicate only for the fact that she's, she's playing the silent treatment in regards to not communicating, keeping it to herself. She says she's having time to process. And when she said that she needed time to process, unfortunately, uh, she's been actually confiding in her friends to discuss this, which I think is probably, a, I don't know if it's a good idea or a bad idea, but I know that uh, it's a situation where now if you've got other people involved in talking about a private relationship, it, it seems to, I don't know, make things a little bit worse, I think. And I did get upset about that because I know she had specifically said to me that she needed time to be by herself to reflect by herself and not disclose outside of the relationship. So I was just asking if uh, what you thought about it, if I should continue to pursue this. I really do love her. I really miss her. And at the same time, uh, you know, I want to I want to grow with this particular person because of the fact that we have so many other great qualities together. Six months. You've been dating this woman for six months and you are at this impasse where Clearly, she doesn't necessarily trust you with her children. You know, children roughhouse, children play, they get scratches. She took pictures of that uh, to, to have evidence of God to prove that you had abused her child or something. I don't know why she would document a normal childhood roughhouse scratch. She's spying on you. She's reading through your emails. She's angry that at six months you hadn't disclosed something to her about your personal life. That's a little embarrassing that you'd been duped by this person, that you married this person. Um, also, if you married this person uh, to help them emigrate and you didn't love this person, uh, that's potentially a criminal act and it would be understandable that you wouldn't disclose that to someone you had known for six months or less because you didn't know that person could be trusted with that kind of information uh, about you and your complicated marital history and the potential legal foo that that could lead to if that came out or you shared that information with somebody who couldn't be trusted or was vindictive or was crazy. 
Um, there just seems at six months to be so much drama in this relationship. And, you know, not just from her end, not that you're generating much of the drama yourself, but if that you're saying at six months that this is someone you want to build your life with, this is someone you want to spend the rest of your life with, leads me to question your judgment because that's not something you say about people at six months. Whatever impulsiveness is in you that led you to marry this person that you were with before, not that you were with that person, but that same sort of piss poor judgment that got you married under those circumstances in the first place seems to be at play here. It is, you know, you can feel at six months that this is a person I could see myself spending my life with. Um, you could game it out and think if th can things continue to go as well as they're going, this could be a relationship I could be in for a long time, if not the rest of my life. But you can't say that at six months because the way things are going with you two, it's not so rosy. It's not so spectacular gaming it out over the long term. It sounds pretty shit showy. It's sad that she was cheated on uh, by somebody else, but it doesn't give you a right going into future relationships to spy, uh, to snoop, to uh, pry and to pretend that you're the wounded party when you discover something six months into the relationship that had been withheld from you for perhaps perfectly rational reasons. You know, a relationship that you're in for six months or three months, even nine months, not a deposition. You don't have to disclose everything. There isn't a discovery process. You don't have to open all your books. That's something you do gradually as you get to trust someone more and more. You share those things from your past with them that could be problematic. They could potentially be deal breakers after they get to really know you for the person you are, after you realize that they can really be trusted with this stuff. When you get to that point where you can make yourself vulnerable, she rushed to that point by snooping. And she's not allowed to stand there saying, but I did it because I was cheated on and I have trust issues. Okay, well, then get the fuck over your trust issues before you get into another relationship because the person you're with now shouldn't be punished for the person you were with before. That's something you have to process and get over and work through. You can ask for some consideration, maybe some a little kid glove treatment. You don't get a pass on shitty behavior just because you were with somebody who cheated on you in the past. You just don't, Right. So I want to end with saying, you know, it doesn't seem like this woman has her shit together and I'm surprised you would want to spend the rest of your life with this woman. Also, it doesn't seem like you have your shit together. Sorry to be blunt, but if you feel this way at six months about someone who has treated you this way, you have some work to do too before you get into a relationship with anyone else. Oh, and finally that issue about she told her friends – she wanted to be off alone thinking about this. It is understood when somebody goes off alone to process a relationship trauma that they may turn to trusted confidants to sound it out. It is uh, not fair pool to say to someone, all right, you go away, you think about it, but you're not allowed to tell anybody. Um, you would rely on their discretion. You would rely on their good judgment. There doesn't seem to be much of that around uh, in this relationship. You would rely on their discretion, their judgment. Uh, not to broadcast it, not to run around screaming and yelling about it, not to share it with inappropriate numbers of people or, or mutual friends or coworkers of yours. But for her to confide in a few close friends about the situation, that's totally legitimate. And people who insist that you can't do that or shouldn't do that, I'm not saying this is uh, you or that you're an abuser, absolutely not. But just for other listeners to file this away, somebody who says you cannot talk about our relationship problems with your friends or family members or anyone, that this is private in between us, that's the kind of isolating and controlling behavior that is a red flag, that is a bad sign. Um, this, because of the legal 
potential problems for you, I can see why you're really extra squicked out by the fact that she confided in others about your situation. But that impulse to confide in others is legitimate and if she's out processing this and thinking about it, she gets to do that even if it makes you a little uncomfortable. Hi, Dan. I'm a 25-year-old straight female from a western city. I'm calling for advice about my long-distance relationship. My boyfriend and I met about three years back and have been dating long distance ever since. He's 38 and we are both Spankos. We actually met at a spanking party in person. However, he lives up in Canada. We've been able to see each other very regularly about every four to six weeks. We've met each other's families. We get along great. We have similar life goals. And of course, the sex is mind blowing. Our one huge hurdle is deciding where to live to end the long distance. My entire family is here. Uh, We're very close, so obviously I would love for him to move to me. However, he's very career-oriented, and he has a great job where he lives now, plus his immediate family is up by him. Anyway, he had initially agreed that he would move to me in the near future. He has a little easier time leaving his family. He's moved around quite a bit, but... He called me upset a couple hours ago saying he didn't think he could make the move here and be happy, but that he didn't want to break up and that he really wanted to work it out somehow. I love him, but I'm feeling like it's impossible to find a compromise when neither of us want to live anywhere other than where we are. As you can imagine, it's not easy finding someone with our particular kink, let alone someone you get along with on other levels, too. So I really want to work this out without feeling like I have to choose between my family and him. Any advice on what we can do to solve this would be greatly appreciated. You should move. You should pull up stakes and move. Uh, Recognizing that the move may not be forever, it may not be permanent, but you're in your mid-20s. You have family where you are that you would like to stay close to. He has family where he is also career where he is, established career. He's in his mid-30s. It's a bigger deal and potentially economically a really a deal that could fuck him over the long term for him to pull up stakes and move. So obviously you're the one who should pull up stakes and move. And I would encourage you to fucking do it because – as you say that the, the two of you found each other, God bless the internet because it can find two kinksters on other sides of the world who share a, a particular sexual passion but also bring two kinksters together who are compatible in other ways. That's rare. That's hard to find. If you have a unique kink, to find somebody who shares your kink that you are also emotionally compatible with, romantically compatible with, that you can picture yourself with over the long term, you move heaven and earth. Or your own ass, you move that to be with that person. That you're even hesitating is ridiculous. You're in your mid-20s. Go have an adventure. Get the fuck away from your family. Take a chance for love. Don't throw this away. I think it's a function of you, though. She hasn't left home. So now she's leaving home to be with one person. It's really scary. But I've had two friends do this. One person who wants to spank her. One person. And that sounds great. <laughs> Bring me. I'll come too. Yeah, if you're not going, Lucy volunteers. Yeah, what's his number? Again? She'll go in your place. But I've had two friends do this, and it's terrifying. But the thing about moving is you can move uh, back. You can go back. You can always go home again. I promise. Right. If it doesn't work out, if, you know, you get there and he pulls the latex mask off and he's a reptile person, if his friends are shitty and awful, if he lives in a place that 
bores you or you hate or you can't find your way into. You can't make friends of your own. You can't get a job. Um, if you go and you're miserable and not miserable in the first three weeks while you miss mommy and your cousin Susie, miserable like a year later, give it some time. But go have a fucking adventure. Shake it up. Go live somewhere new where you really don't know anybody and find your own way. I hate to be like, when I was a kid, when I, when I was in my, your age, I moved to Europe with a one-way ticket and no way home and met people and figured it the fuck out and had an amazing time. Maybe got spanked once or twice to myself. Had an amazing time. And it was really formative. But you've got to like over up and be brave about it. And that and – that, your impetus, my impetus to move was just wanderlust. Your impetus to move is actual lust and the fulfillment of it and, and a romantic connection with somebody who shares your particular kink and you're this compatible and in love and you're not willing for love to put a little distance between you and mommy and daddy and your cousins and whoever the fuck else. I, I find it shocking. I, 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 I don't understand. It's actually very hard. For, I, I hope I'm not being too cruel to this caller, but I just find it very hard to relate or understand why you would even hesitate. Well, because it sounds like she probably hasn't left home or went to college and then went back home. So it's scary. I mean, I'm, I moved to New York by myself. I moved to California by myself. So we're not the right people to advise her. No, sorry. Do it. You Go. were only too anxious to get the fuck away from your family. Constantly. <laughs> and, and maybe it's easy for me to – like growing up as a gay kid, part, part of the, your thought process I think when you're young and gay closeted is I can't be free and I can't be myself until I get away from my family. I can never come out to them. I mean that's part of what you think is I can never come out to them. But if I get to the other side of the world, then I can be out to the people I meet there without repercussions. And you know, by the time I went to the other side of the world, I was out to them and there was no repercussions anymore to worry about. But I still had this flight response. I still had this desire to go far, far away. So maybe I'm you know, maybe I'm just not being sympathetic because I can't relate because this idea of not getting away from your family, not going out into the into the world is so foreign to me. That it's just hard to empathize. But I just think you're being – listen to your call. Listen to the responses we get to your call. I'm sure we'll get responses. Uh, And read the comments. I'm sure we'll get comments from people saying, go for it. Go, go, go. And if you don't go, it's – you know, it will be two, three, four years later and you will not have met another spanker or spanko uh, with whom you are spanky compatible and emotionally compatible. And you will really regret your cowardice at this moment. You know, this is one of those moments that can really change – the whole course of your life. You could wind up living where he is for a while and it could be terrible and you can go home in a year and no harm done really. You had an adventure. You came home with a bunch of handprints on your ass. Awesome. And you left him with some handprints on his, hopefully. Or you could wind up moving there and just finding your place, finding your people, finding your career, finding yourself, which most people do when they get away from their families. Your mom's not going to spank you at this age, hopefully. Go to Canada. Let Canada spank you. Hi, Dan. I'm a 26-year-old uh, woman, and um, I've been in a relationship for almost a year with a guy who is absolutely incredible. We're extremely sexually compatible. He is brilliant and wonderful and just the, the guy for me. The thing is that he's about to leave for graduate school, and it's pretty far from where I live like a four-hour flight um, that doesn't seem like much, but I have a, I work in a really high-stress job, and it's, you know, 50, 60-plus hours a week. He's going to be a full-time student, and I am 
really nervous about the long distance thing. Not because I think I'm going to be unfaithful to him, but because I've been in long distance relationships before and all the guys have cheated on me. So I know that he's not this kind of guy, but I am so terrified that something's going to go wrong in this relationship just because of my past experience. Like I said, he's an amazing guy and he is freely committed to me, but I'm just so afraid that my history is just going to, you know, I'm going to self-sabotage this relationship. All right. You can talk on this one too. Two in a row. Sorry, haters. What is she talking about? self What's her history? Tell us your history. Well, and- she, she gave it at the beginning that she's been in LDRs before and every single time she was in a long distance relationship where obviously uh, they had a monogamous commitment that they were both supposed to honor. They were supposed to not fuck other people while they were apart. The guy cheated. That's that's the history she gives at the top. She's done LDRs before. The guy always cheats. They're about to do an LDR for grad school. It's going to be years, four hours away by plane. And so she is worried that he will inevitably cheat, but he says he won't and he's really dedicated to her. What should she do? And I think when she says that she's going to sabotage it, it's not that she's going to cheat. She's just going to be such an insecure bag of slop, uh, making his life miserable, calling him tears, suspicions. Where are you? I, I think that's what she's saying when she says that she like, will oh. sabotage it. It will be by being jealous, controlling and fearful from afar and being mm-hmm. so unpleasant. And that being all of their interactions while they're apart is her monitoring – his behavior or, you know, wanting to know where he is at all times and, and grilling him because she had in the past she got cheated on. And then he'll cheat on her because she's a psycho. <laughs> <laughs> or he'll just realize after a couple of years that, you know, not realize if for years the relationship is nothing but him having to reassure her that he's not doing this thing, he'll get tired of that being the totality of his relationship and he will break up with her not because he wants to cheat on her, not because he didn't love her, not because he was cheating on her, but just because there's nothing there anymore of value if their relationship just boils down to I need reassurance. I'm so insecure. You're going to cheat on me like they cheated on me and her persecuting this dude for the sins of the past dudes. And, you know, I you know how I feel, caller. You listen to the show. I think if you're going to be apart for that long, you should have a don't ask, don't tell agreement. And then you don't have to worry about a betrayal because it won't be a betrayal because you will both have a little license to do whatever it is you need to do to stay together and stay sane during this period of enforced separation, right? And then you don't have to talk about it. But it sounds like that would make you absolutely paranoid. You, It sounds like you are invested in being his one and only and him being monogamous and there being no one else but you forever. Rarely works out that way, but if that's what you want to go for – Go for it. But you are setting yourself up for failure. You're setting yourself up. You are as – I can't remember the name of the, the the sexologist or sociologist in Britain who said this. Every monogamous relationship is a disaster waiting to happen. It's a ticking time bomb because sooner or later, somebody's probably going to cheat and kablooey. And that's what you want. You want that nervousness about the near inevitable kablooey. And in your experience with LDRs, the imminent kablooey. And so my advice would be to diffuse that time bomb and just say, you know what? We are together. Let's Skype. Let's jack off together. Let's masturbate together on Skype a lot. I will come out to you as often as I can. I have a high-stress job. I will fly there. You can fly home. Uh, And if anything else happens, I don't want to know about it. 
And if I do anything that uh, you shouldn't want to know about, I won't tell you either. That that is the courtesy that we will extend to each other. We will do our best to maintain our bonds, but we will not police each other and we will not persecute each other and we will not be paranoid and insecure about whatever happening. So long as I am your first priority, so long as we are moving in a direction, we're going to be in the same city again in a reasonable period of time. What else can you do? What else can you – otherwise, you're just going to be miserable and unhappy. You're going to make him miserable and unhappy and it is going to end not because he's cheating, not because he wants to leave you, but because he doesn't want to be miserable and unhappy anymore. Well, don't you think if she has all these failed long-distance relationships, maybe she shouldn't you know, be in a long-distance relationship and that's just not going to work? This, I mean, I feel like, uh, but I don't think that every guy who commits to an LDR no, oh, no, no. is automatically going to violate uh, a monogamous LDR. I don't think every guy is going to cheat, right? And that's what she thinks because right. every guy in the past who she's done an LDR agreement with has cheated. She's worried this guy will cheat, and kaboom! And that fear on her part. That's what's going to lead her to sabotage a relationship because mm-hmm. she is, you know, what she doesn't say, but I think is easy to extrapolate from what she does say, is that she's going to be so insecure, so needy, so controlling, and so unpleasant that the relationship will be destroyed whether or not he cheats because of her past experiences with guys cheating on her LDRs. So why not end the relationship or put it on hold? So if he does fuck somebody else, it's not cheating, and then pick up where you left off. That's my advice, or don't ask, don't tell. Or you just sit there and say, I'm going to not be persecuting this guy because I believe this time he's not going to cheat because he's not like those other guys. And we'll see how that plays out in the end. Hi, my name is Greg, and I just had a question about a situation that I'm in. I met this girl, and we haven't been talking. We are talking a little less than a month, and I really like her. She really likes me, and I want to know if we have your advice on whether this is whether love can happen quickly. Like if you can just be talking to somebody and, and fall in love within a month, or is it just like puppy love kind of infatuation uh, sort of thing? Um, I, I just kind of want to know something about that and um, just kind of get your opinion on it. I, I really do dig this chick. She's really great. We share a lot of the same common interests. You know, she makes me laugh. Like she has a lot of the same stuff that I would really love in a girl, like a long time, long term relationship. I'm just trying to make sure that this is like, if if I'm not just being dumb and just trying to get attached to somebody kind of thing. I'm playing this guy's call because I think his voice is really sexy. I just want to crawl into his voice and fuck the shit out of his voice, even though he's straight. And I'm not into straight guys. So like caller, I'm not like macking on you or anything, but I love that accent. I could fall in love at first Sound with that accent, if not sight. How about you? You like a boy with an accent? I know. I'm into. I was like, oh, hello, (laughs) hello, Southern boy. Tell me more. Honey dipped vowels. (laughs) Uh, Puppy love. Yeah. Here's the thing about love at first sight. That you know, people often have that feeling of love at first sight, and you'll sometimes talk to people who will tell you that it was love at first sight. Uh, And they've been together ever since. And you know, they've been together ten, twenty, thirty years. And we'll talk about that meeting. And in some cases, they actually felt that then 30 years ago upon their first meeting. They felt that love at first sight feeling. In some cases, they're rounding it up. Some cases, it's you know in their memory uh, looking back because that ter- person did and wind up being the person they were going to spend their whole life with. They uh, you know retroactively confer love at first sight status upon that first meeting. Um, but we have a distorted picture of love at first sight because 
uh, people who had that feeling about someone and it didn't work out, they're not running around the world running their mouths constantly at family reunions or uh, out for dinner with friends or at their wedding about how it was love at first sight. You know, often people have that feeling of like instant attraction. They, they, they bond really fast. And that's just their imagination running away with them, that this is somebody they could see themselves with, that they've, they've discovered nothing in the month. For instance, that you two have been together. You've uncovered nothing that disqualifies this person. And so it's love at first sight. And if indeed there is nothing that disqualifies this person, that feeling will be validated over the long term. But if you do find something that disqualifies per that person in the next couple of weeks, what you're going to tell yourself is that it wasn't love at first sight, that you were mistaken. So when you have that love at first sight feeling and it bears out over time, it stands the test of time, we think love at first sight is a real thing. But people have that same feeling about people that they don't wind up spending their lives with. And then they negate it. They say that that wasn't – that was a mistake. That I didn't really feel that. Do you know what I mean? Am I making sense? Yeah. And so uh, we have this distorted idea of love at first sight. What we need to just remember is that when we meet somebody, we're really super attracted to them, that we can have these intense – Feelings after a couple of weeks, after a month. I certainly felt that way about Terry after a month. Um, but we can have those intense feelings about the wrong person. We can have those intense feelings about someone who isn't worthy of our love or isn't capable of loving us back or that we can't actually fall in love with because they're not the person, you know, we realize at six months that they're not the person that our imagination had built them up to be at one month. So how you're feeling about this person, love at first sight, yeah, maybe this person is the person that your imagination is telling you uh, you could love all your life and maybe this person isn't and only time will tell. And then one day you'll either look back and think, wow, I fell, instant I fell so hard for this person but it wasn't true love. It wasn't love. It was infatuation. It was lust. Or one day you may look back and say, ah, oh, love at first sight is a real thing because it happened to me. So love at first sight is a real thing always wins in the end. Because when the feelings aren't borne out, we say it wasn't love. We say it was lust or infatuation. When the feelings are borne out, we're like, oh, that love at first sight thing is real. Uh, and it's only real when it works out. When it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Hey, Dan and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth. I am a 28-year-old female in the Southeast. And I'm calling because I had sort of a weird social interaction the other night. I got a message from a friend's husband on a social media website, and this is somebody that I've met maybe two or three times. We don't really have any kind of connection, but he sort of started out by asking, you know, how I was doing. He's on night shift, I'm on night shift, and then his wife, my friend, also works shift work. And uh, after about three uh, messages back and forth, he started talking about how rough it was to not be able to see his wife and how he wasn't getting his sexual needs met. Uh, I was pretty immediately grossed out and uh, didn't respond for a while. I wasn't really sure how to handle it. I was hoping that it was just sort of random chatter, but um, regardless, uh, he knows that I'm gay and he knows that I'm friends with his wife, obviously. And, um, so I kind of steered the conversation away from what I felt like he was trying to get at. And once I think he noticed me doing that, he sort of followed suit and started talking about, you know, how he can't wait to see his wife in the morning, et cetera. So my question is, he never directly came out and suggested anything to me, but I felt like it was sort of strongly implied 
why else would he be contacting me about this again? This is not somebody that I speak to on a regular basis. So I don't know if, you know, they have, they have young kids together. They, they have a toddler and a, a baby that's only a few months old. They've been married for a while. She seems super happy with him. I just feel like if this guy sort of has the the nerve to try to make moves on his wife's friends, you know, what else is he getting into? We're not, she and I aren't, aren't super close, but I kind of feel like maybe I have some kind of an obligation to hint or tell her that this happened, but because it's nothing, you know, overt from what he was saying, I'm kind of worried that she's going to take it as me um, making things up and she's going to somehow end up being uh, ticked off at me about it. So it's just, it's just sort of an awkward situation and I'm not really sure how to proceed. And I was hoping that um, maybe you had some advice. My advice is to keep your mouth shut. You really don't have any idea what he was really driving at. Maybe he was hitting on you. Maybe he was dropping hints. Maybe he was hoping when he confided in you in this way that you would say, hey, I'd love to suck your dick even though I'm a dog. Or maybe he thinks of you as one of the guys and he saw you online and he thinks of you in a completely like non-sexual way and he bitched to you about his love life, his sexless marriage, young kid at home, as straight guys frequently do with each other. Maybe that's the story that you should tell yourself. Maybe you shouldn't err on the side of destroying this marriage. When there's a young kid at home. Okay, let's not give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's assume that he was dropping hints, hoping that you, of all people, would pick it up and run with it and that he would get into your pants and get into your lesbian pussy with his straight dick. And perhaps the reason he didn't overtly make the pass was because he hesitated. Perhaps the reason he didn't overtly make the pass is because he knew he was doing something kind of wrong and he was embarrassed about it a little bit or or hesitant or uh, conflicted. And the next day he felt as sort of weird and squicked out about what he had done as you felt and he's not going to do this again and he doesn't routinely do it. Maybe that's what happened. And then it would be unnecessary and cruel to burden his wife, your friend, with this half information that could destroy the trust in their marriage, could wind up breaking up the home of this toddler and their other children. Just err on the side of not – blowing this fucking family up based on the evidence that you have, which is nothing. Your husband said something that was kind of weird to me when we were both on the night shift because he was having, I don't know, a sad or he thinks of me as one of the guys or maybe he wanted to fuck me. Just wanted to share that with you. Just thought you should know that so you could process that with your husband. Like, no, you just stay the fuck out of it. Assume the better in this instance because you don't have the goods. You don't have proof. You assume that he thought of you as one of the guys and he was confiding in you as a fellow fucker of women, not as a potential fuckhole for him. Or he was doing something that he realized later was wrong and he's embarrassed by, which is why he didn't do it fully, why he didn't make an explicit pass and stay the fuck out of it. You say you don't know this woman well. Leave this family alone. I've had coworkers say terrible things to me and usually I'm just offended that they're sexually <laughs> harassing me so openly in our office. Mm-hmm. 
And she wants to call their – I've never thought of calling a wife and saying, can you imagine what you married? Yeah, you're a young woman in the workplace. Sometimes you work with squicky older yeah, dudes. of course. And they sometimes say squicky shit to you that they shouldn't say, that should be illegal. They should be thrown into wood chippers. But what do you do about it when it happens? I complain about it. To who? <laughs> my friends. To my friends. And I've grossed out by it. My mom and I bitch about it. And then it's done. It's over. Yeah, but is it done? If it, is it over? If it persists at work, do you confront human resources? Do you complain to the boss of the person? Who... Well, to be fair, there's not much of human resources in television production. So usually you have to either well, you swallow it or you walk away. Ew. I know, but that's true. Well, you can't walk and swallow at the same time? I can you walk can't and swallow, swallow and walk away? I can't. can do both. I can't do. I've done it plenty of times. Swallow and walk away. Well, that's kind of sad, though. What we're saying is that you encounter workplace sexual harassment and there's nothing that can be done about it. And it's your job as a young person and a young woman in the workforce just to, like, suck it up. Kind of, deal. yeah. And defend yourself. But I, I'm saying this is funny because I've never once thought of saying I'm going to call the wife. She does seem eager to. To stir shit up. Instead of being even personally offended or what does this mean in my relationship with this man, instead she wants to stir shit up and go straight to the wife. And avenge somehow. An awkward social situation. An awkward encounter in social media land. That happened once. Not repeatedly, not every night shift, not every Tuesday even on the night shift, just one awkward. No dick pics, just an ambivalent statement that could be taken in one or two ways. I think that that doesn't rise to the level of barging into someone's marriage and potentially exploding it. I don't. So shut the fuck up, caller. Shut the fuck up. Eat it. Swallow it and walk away. And this isn't anybody with a position of authority or power over you, so it's no violation uh, in the sort of workplace harassment sense or anywhere whether It's just somebody blurted something out to you that was a little off and weird and awkward and you shut the fuck up and you walk the fuck away. Right? I agree. And you trust. Like sometimes people in marriages, they have their low points. People will say or do things in moments of despair or horniness that are dumb, that they don't follow through on. That if all of that shit was reported back to HQ, was reported back to their spouses, no marriage would survive. And so it's good that there are people in the world who sometimes overhear or are subject to, as long as it's not harassment, subject to some odd moment like this who don't run back to HQ, don't run back to the spouse and report. Because if the world was filled with people who had your reaction to this interaction caller, everyone would wind up divorced. Not just half of everyone, but everyone. And we don't want that, particularly when there are young kids involved. Hello, Dan. I'm kind of calling you as like a last resort, I guess, because... I'm in a very confusing situation. I'm I'm in a long-term relationship with my boyfriend of three and a half years. We've lived together for pretty much that whole time. Um, I'm almost 25 years old. He's 24. And we've kind of just hit this weird place in our relationship where, I don't know, things have just gotten really dull. Like, there's no, there hasn't really been anything romantic that we've really done in the past two years that was initiated by him. I usually do all of the romantic, you know, cute stuff to remind each other that we love each other, like little notes and stuff like that. Um, I also am always the one planning our birthdays and our anniversaries, et cetera, et cetera. I've asked him to improve on that. And also our sex life has gone down to about once or twice a month. 
And he claims it's because we have opposite work schedules, which we kind of do, but we do have enough time to have sex if he really wanted it, but it just seems like he doesn't want it anymore, even though every time I ask, he says he does. So to make this shorter, um, I have this guy friend that I just became close with, and I don't think I'm... And, romantically interested in him, but he talk, I, we talk all day long. We text, we um, constantly talk to each other. He makes me laugh and we're always having fun. And it, I guess it makes me sad because my boyfriend and I don't do that anymore. And I have more fun talking to this guy friend than I do my own boyfriend. Now I'm kind of financially tied to my boyfriend. Um, I just started a new job, so I took a pay cut. So there's only so much I can do about, you know, if I were to leave, but a big part of me doesn't want to because my boyfriend is a good guy. It's just I don't know how we get past this hard place where we just seem kind of more of like roommates than boyfriend and girlfriend anymore. I don't know. I'm just I'm really sad, and I really hope I can get some advice on what I what I should do. I mean, I I was thinking maybe give it till the end of our lease, and if it doesn't change, then we go our separate ways. I don't know. Tell me what you think. You know, I think there's a lot of damage like romantic comedies do and the way relationships are portrayed on television and film, which is where most people learn how to have relationships, watching TV and film. And relationships always end with a shit show, some sort of major blow up, fight, betrayal, infidelity. And that's when you're sort of programmed to know, scripted almost to know that now is the time to break up. Now is the time to end the relationship because, oh, we've arrived at the shit show. I got cheated on or I got hit or – or we're fighting all the time and it's just explosive and awful. And there are a lot of people out there who don't seem to realize that many relationships end just because they peter the fuck out, just because they're emotionally unsatisfying or sexually unsatisfying or done or played. And they're just – there's no there there anymore. But people like stand around looking at each other going, neither of us knows to pull the plug because we're not throwing shit at each other. Neither of us knows to pull the plug because neither of us cheated. And got caught. And neither of us knows to pull the plug because neither of us has realized the other is an abuser or an asshole or a psychopath. And so these relationships like Flying Dutchman, like ghost ships, just go on and on and on. And nobody's happy. She's not happy. Say something. I'm trying to talk to you. I'm looking at you. You may talk. I'm telling – well, no. I just feel like – Stop nodding so vigorously and speak. I totally agree. I totally agree. No, I think this happens all the time. With me, I know I've dated guys for three months, and then I just think, meh, meh, you're really nice and you're really funny and you're good in bed, but it just doesn't fit, and that's okay, and we can break up. We don't even have to hate each other. We can just break. That's it. Up. I think a lot of people don't realize that you can end a relationship without having arrived at the hate stage, and these will go on. This kind of relationship, this flying Dutchman ghost ship relationship, will go on until you do hate each other. Because I think subconsciously people realize that. Getting to hate is the ticket out of this unsatisfying relationship and they will gin hate the fuck up. They will manufacture and construct hate and then it explodes. They're like, oh, yeah, well, I had the end of the relationship because it had gotten to this really ugly place. But for years it had been in this really unsatisfying, boring, flat, not sexually connected, not emotionally connected place where this – She's being neglected, her emotional needs for like any acknowledgement of birthdays, anniversaries, anything, flag day, arbor day, nothing, no emotional anything from him. It's not working. Pull the fucking plug. But they have a great apartment it sounds like. It was telling at the end when she said she was going to wait for their lease to be up. Which is a fine time to pull the plug. If you can you can conclude, you know, I think 
for the most part, when you realize it's over, end it. But there are sometimes extenuating circumstances like a lease or like financial interdependence where you may have to pick this date that's coming a little bit in the future where it will be easier to disentangle and you don't want the emotional drama of officially broken up and still living together. Like, fine, fine. But call her. It's over. It's over. Don't wait to gin up the hate. Don't, don't, fl- don't float along in the fucking ghost ship for another three years wondering how you can fix this. This is unfixable. It's a dead relationship. It's over. You just don't realize it because it doesn't look like what you're used to seeing over relationships portrayed as, which are explosive. Like people blow up. Relationships blow up and fall apart. Well, a lot of relationships just through entropy come apart. This is one of those. Or so it sounds to me when I listen to that call. Well, yeah. Well, don't cheat with your friend and then go, oops, oops, I'm so sorry. I cheated. Now can I leave? Now right. is it okay to That's leave also before what the happens. lease is up? That's what happens. That's all, you're in the ghost ship relationship. You don't have the sense to end it because you don't realize it's over. You start getting your emotional needs met elsewhere. It becomes physical and then you get to hate. Then you get to the explosion mm-hmm. that you didn't have to get to that stage. You should have pulled the plug earlier and then the next person you got with, it wouldn't have been the catalyst to end the relationship. Yeah, well, don't dip your toe in deception. Just have the big conversation. Although, oh you know, God. sometimes I smile on that. You know, sometimes people well, – because, because of the, is fine. Because but, of this problem sure. – yeah, the talking is fine. Yeah, but fine. even the fucking, even the cheating, sometimes people need to have some massive incentive to end the shitty thing they're in. And a lot of people, particularly young women – remember this is a woman in her early 20s yeah. – are so deathly afraid of being alone – because alone means loser, nobody wants me, that they will stay in something shitty mm-hmm. until something better comes well, that's along. True. Well, that's serial monogamous. I love my friends who are serial monogamous. Well, yeah, you started dating someone else when you were still living with that other person. It's really easy to be a serial monogamous. Well, no, that's not serial monogamy. That's relay race monogamy. <laughs> that's like being passed off like a baton. <laughs> Here you go. We're at the 400 meter. Right. Let's go. I got into it with Jenny McCarthy actually backstage at The View. Not got into it. We just like argued a little bit um, because, you know, I'm not monogamous and she was saying she could never be in a non-monogamous relationship backstage in the green room to me. She could never do that and uh, because she believes in love and commitment. And I was like, how many of these monogamous relationships have you been in? She's like, oh, my God. And she starts ticking them off. And I'm like, I've been in this one for a long time. Who believes in love and commitment? You or me? Because you really weren't committed to any of the people that you've been monogamous with. Not really. I'm not monogamous, but I'm committed. You've been monogamous, but not committed. You can't have it both ways. And how's that working for you? (laughs) She does fine. She She does does. all right. Oh, no, I love her. She should vaccinate her children and people shouldn't (laughs) listen to her about vaccines, but otherwise she does all right. Hi, Dan. I'm a 28-year-old female straight living in New York City, and I have a question for you. My boyfriend and I have been dating for 10 years. Over the last week, we got into a huge argument, which is very much unlikely or much unlike us, and we ended up taking a break because he felt the need to figure out who he was on his own. After those two days, we got back together. We reevaluated our relationship, realized that we were being a little bit dramatic, but he said that he wanted to be able to experience other sexual experiences. And while he was on our two-day break, that he had met up with some girls on Tinder. I was actually really turned on by this. I was not upset by it. And we agreed to have an open relationship. 
we um, had discussed the things that we're okay with and we set some ground rules. But I wanted to hear from you, from someone who is a big promoter of the monogamous relationship, and I've always kind of liked the idea of that as well. I'd love to hear what are some other great ground rules to set and what is some good advice for a new couple exploring this new monogamous relationship, um, whether it's a hot idea or just some ground rules that we need to lay. So I wanted to get you on the phone because I had a I had a question for you. You know, you guys broke up for a couple of days. He got on Tinder. He hooked up with a couple of women. Now you're back together and you're negotiating a monogamous relationship. Often, you know, when this happens where somebody's hooked up and they get back together and the person's like, I want an open relationship. The other person's like, oh, this gives me a big sad. There's nothing in this for me, but I will – allow this to happen if it's the only way I can have you. But your reaction was like, this turns me on that you've hooked up with other women while we were broken up. Yeah. Can you unpack yeah. that for people? Cause that's going to blow some people's minds. Yeah. I mean, I can't really explain it myself. And I, and you know, we always had this kind of a relationship and I'd always told him, you know, if you ever wanted to do something like that, I'm open to the idea, but you just got to be honest with me. I'd rather us just always, you know, communicate and work through it, blah, blah, blah. He never took me up on it because I don't think he actually believed me. Mm-hmm. So something something about hearing him just talk about being with other women, it was something that I don't think I realized how hypersexual he was. I think after being together for maybe 10 years, it was just something that we didn't realize we both had inside of us. So it just kind of uncovered this maybe different side of us that we never really knew about. You're 28? Yeah, I'm 28. And how old is he? He's 31. So you guys have been together since he he was 21 and you were 18? And for a decade? Right, yes. And how was your sex life before you guys had that two-day breakup? How were you guys doing 10 years in? We, you know, we were doing, I I wouldn't say we had a bad sex life. Um, I mean, we would probably have sex maybe like once or twice a week. So I wouldn't say it was unhealthy, but it definitely wasn't there, you know, at the point of super passionate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that it was getting a little bit more routine. And has this shaken it up? Oh, absolutely. I've had the best sex of my life over the last few days. <laughs> and is when you guys are having sex now, post the, the two day breakup, post him hooking up with a couple other women, post you guys getting back together. Do you talk about it while you're fucking? Is it like a, a, a present oh, on yeah. your mind? So this is, you've incorporated uh-huh. this into your dirty talk. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, there was one point the other night where I turned to him and I said, the idea of you fucking another woman and then coming home and fucking me really turns me on. And what did he and say? And then we just went right back at it again. Uh-huh. So and, does, he, yeah. does he feel the same way about the possibility of you fucking other men? Yeah, I think with him, I don't think he wants me to come home and communicate it as much, but we talked about that if, he was, if he's going out and doing this, that I'm going to be doing the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. But from his point of view, I just don't think he wants me to go into the super details okay. um, so, the way that I want him to do it. So it's funny here. You know, we talk about cuckolding all the time, but when you say cuckold relationships, people always assume in, that it means, you know, a man whose girlfriend or wife sleeps with other people and tells him about it and that turns him on hearing about it, whether there's an element mm-hmm. of humiliation or not. Um, but there's actually a thing called a cuck queen, which is a woman who is turned on by the idea of her husband or boyfriend fucking other yeah. women and telling her about it. So congratulations. Mm-hmm. You have, there's a name for you. Oh, wow. I'm, that's, I feel honored. And in the world of cuckdom, you are a rarity. It's almost all male cucks, <laughs> uh, with female partners, but to be a female cuck with a male partner, you're a cuck queen. Congratulations. Well, thank you very much. I, I do feel that it's uh, a little strange and I can't really explain it to many people. So I'm glad that there's a, there's a term for it and I'm not alone. You're not alone. Now, when it comes to ground rules, 
Um, your case is, I think, really a great illustration for a lot of listeners that sometimes the rules aren't the same for both partners. Like you want to hear about it. It turns you on to hear about it. If you get with somebody else, he doesn't want to hear about it because it doesn't turn him on to hear about it. So that, that may seem, right. you know, they may seem like, oh, different rules. How is that fair? But at the base, what's going on is you're both doing for each other what turns each other on and not doing things to each other that don't turn each other on. Hearing about it turns you right. on, doesn't turn him on. So you hear about it, he doesn't. As for the other rules, I can't really assign those to you guys. Each of you needs to decide what you're comfortable with and what you want to do. Okay. The only rule that, that makes any sort of openness work is constant and really good communication around right. comfort levels and revisiting it. And, you know, if you are uncomfortable about the idea of him, you know, you're comfortable with the idea of him sleeping with other women, but what about a, your sister? What about a coworker? What about a friend? What about a neighbor? Like right. how close can he come uh, in your, into your orbit right. without making you feel embarrassed or humiliated? You also need to articulate to each other where you are in social monogamy. You're not going to be sexually monogamous. As a couple moving forward, do you want to be perceived to be sexually monogamous? That's social monogamy. Where right, your, your right. mom thinks you're monogamous, your next door neighbor thinks you're monogamous, your you know your friends in your immediate circle that you're not out to about being open, they think you're monogamous. You can't maintain the appearances of social monogamy if he's fucking your neighbors, fucking your friends, bringing women to your ha- the house when you're not there. Right, and those are we've set the ground rules that nothing can happen in our shared space, our apartment, and that it would we would both prefer it to be someone that is not within our own circles. So I think we've, we've set those ground rules and we're both on the same page with that. Okay, set them and then revisit them because you never know. Like if part of Absolutely. what turns you on is knowing about it, knowing that it happened in your bed like three hours before you got home, that might be a turn on later when you're more secure with the openness. Right. Then you Ooh, might that's be right true. Now. I didn't think of that. Um, the only other thing that I would throw out there to a heterosexual couple is, holy shit, birth control. <laughs> You don't yeah, want yeah, him yeah. coming home and telling you a condom broke and right. I'm going to be a dad. Right. And you don't want to have to go to him and say, oopsie, uh, I'm pregnant and I'm thinking about what to do. Oh, absolutely. That's all. That's all we uh, already been discussed as well. That's okay. a non-negotiable. Discussing is, is one thing. Following through and being hypervigilant is yeah. another thing. A lot of people absolutely. say they're going to be super careful and then – you know, they're a little tipsy or they're passionate or carried away or they stop paying attention. You know, you really need to double bag it, uh, not in the sense of wearing two condoms at once, but condoms (laughs) and hormonal birth control and IUD and this. If there's any sort of a slip up, a run to uh, the pharmacy for plan B in the morning after pill. Right, right. ASAP within that 72-hour window. And the earlier you are in that 72-hour window with emergency contraception, the more effective it is. You know, right. if you guys are going to be open, I would even go get some emergency contraception and just throw it in the medicine cabinet. Not a bad idea. Thank you. I thought of it myself. Okay, okay. <laughs> Any other questions? I think you've answered everything, but I think you've just kind of given me the confidence that this is going to be a lot of fun. It is going to be a lot of fun, so long as you two are really careful uh, around each other's feelings. You take it right. slow. Uh, you're constantly checking in. You're communicating with each other, not just communicating when you want to turn each other on with it, but processing it and pushing right. it out. And that you don't treat other people like flashlights or vibrators. That other people, right? You know, the other people you might get with that he might get with have feelings too that have to be taken into consideration. And you need to communicate with them as well, and not lead them on or mislead them or hurt them. Absolutely. Nope, that makes sense. Good luck, Cut Queen. Thank you so much, Dan. I appreciate you giving me a call back. 
Hi, Dan. Uh, 33-year-old by female living in Atlanta. Uh, my question is actually about my younger cousin, who's sort of like a niece to me. She's 18, and she recently graduated from high school and lives in a very small town, and she came out about three months ago. Um, my question is, she comes to visit me every summer, and while I was attending her graduation uh, in May, she kind of is being incredibly pervy about the fact that she is a lesbian and I am completely supportive of her lifestyle, whatever she wants, but she was almost, she was even inappropriate to me and I'm her family member making kind of like lewd comments and dirty jokes like about me and her together. And it really kind of made me comfortable and I do not want to stifle her at all. I want her to know that I'm comfortable you know, with her choices, not everyone in our family is on her choices, but you know who she is. But my question is, how do I handle situations like that without like scarring her or making her feel shamed? Go ahead and scar her. Go ahead and make her feel ashamed. Not that she should be deeply ashamed. She's just being young and just out and sowing her verbal oats, if not her actual oats and saying shitty inappropriate things to you that make you feel uncomfortable. And you shouldn't hesitate to say something to her in a non-shitty way, but that risks making her uncomfortable. She's making you uncomfortable. You say to her, I know you're just out. And when I came out, you say to her what you just said. When I came out, I said like a lot of things and I was a little like rambunctious and extra queer at all times. And I said things that sometimes made people uncomfortable. And, you know, I don't regret it. It's actually part of coming out. But the shit you're saying about, like, these hints and jokes about, like, us, like, that just makes me uncomfortable. Cousins can do it, by the way. Cousin marriage is allowed in uh, 24 or 25 states. Um, First cousin marriage. I'm not suggesting you two should get together, but it's not as if if you two did get together that that would be some earth-shattering, incestuous fucking relationship that would cause the earth to open up and swallow you both and the small towns you came from. It would just be a little squicky perhaps for family members because of the family connection and the age difference. So, you know, if she's attracted to you, that's kind of quasi legit, but it makes you uncomfortable. That connection makes you very uncomfortable. Just so fucking tell her. Why, why would you even hesitate to tell her? I, when I was young and just coming out, I said stupid things and thank God that I said those stupid things often in rooms full of smart gay men who were willing to say, girl, shut up with that shit, right? There's that stage of coming out where you want to freak the norms, where you want to violate those norms, where you want to be the most radical little piece of queer bait in the room. And you want to demonstrate how comfortable you are with your sexuality by just inhabiting it I don't want to use the word flaunting it because that's what the haters say. But inhabiting it in a way that it's almost like an aggressive performance. Um, and so aggressive a performance it makes other queer people feel uncomfortable as it's making you feel uncomfortable. And thank God for those other queers who at that moment step in and parent us, step in and school us, speak up and let us know that, you know, you don't have to try that hard. You don't have to work that hard at this, that you can just live it and be it. And the haters will perceive flaunting, but the people who are on your side and the people who like you and love you and the people who are queer and accept you, you don't have to f- inhabit it so aggressively with us. You know, sometimes you're trying to prove something to the people who aren't in the room when you're being young and queer in that way. 
You're trying to prove something to the family that rejected you. You're trying to rub it in the noses of the haters who condemn you for flaunting it who aren't even there. And you're not making those people uncomfortable. You're making the people who love and accept you uncomfortable because you're acting like a rambunctious little shit. And you should say that to her. She needs you to say that to her. And you can say that to her in such a way where you're not rejecting her. You're not rejecting who she is. You're rejecting how she's behaving as a queer person in this moment at this time. And just be sure to put the cherry on top of the conversation of I did the exact same thing. It's common, common slight of passage. Not a rite of passage. It's like a, a train wreck of passage, this little moment in, in, in queerness when you're first coming out. We know – I know it. You know it. Looking back at that stage of our queer adolescences, she doesn't know it. You need to tell her. Hi, I'm calling about episode 403 where the wife is basically forcing her husband to be celibate for three and a half years. Um, I don't know why we keep on saying that the wife uh, desperately loves the husband and she really cares about him and she thinks about him not having sex. Um, to deprive someone for three and a half years of something that he greatly enjoys and to not want to deal with it immediately, that means to keep your partner suffering for three and a half years doesn't seem to me uh, a very loving act. Hi, Dan. I am calling with um, a response to episode 403 about the woman who was wondering what to do um, about the guy who got her concert tickets that ended up not existing. Um, and while I agree with everything that you mentioned in your answer to her, I, that call raised some huge red flags for me that I don't think that you addressed. I, I don't know if this is just my experience, but I have been in so many situations where, quote, unquote, nice guys do something that is disingenuous and dishonest and manipulative, which is what this was, to try to, you know, get somebody to agree to do something romantically or sexually that they're not interested in. And so I just think that this woman should actually be pretty careful about going to hang out with this guy. And if she were my friend, I would tell her, absolutely do not go be alone with him because he's already proven himself to be untrustworthy. Hi, Dan. Long-time listener, first-time caller. I just wanted to respond to the woman asking about breastfeeding. I breastfed for two and a half years, and my nipples are more sensitive than they were before I started, highly more sensitive. But my mom's were not, so I think that every single human is different, but I would say breastfeed for as long as you can, want to, your baby wants to, and enjoy them nipples. And we're going to leave it there. But before we go, we need to say goodbye to Lucy. Thank you. Our 206-201-2720 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz, 206-201-2720. If you would like to call and complain about Lucy being on another episode of the Savage Lovecast, please call 1-800-225-4008. That's the Family Research Council's phone number. They will be handling complaints about Lucy appearing on the show today. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Lucy on Twitter at at LucyPlace. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech-savvy at-risk youth, but not Lucy. We will all be back at you next week, except Lucy, with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading. <laughs>